0: We'll go ahead and open in prayer and then we'll do some recap of what we are talking about and label this as chapter 5, part 6. So this is the sixth week I'm in chapter 5. So I need to conclude it really quick. So let's pray and then we'll start. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that you've given us. Thank you for this in the school and also for um, the study that we're going through the book of Acts. I pray that you lead us and guide us in understanding your word and uh, that we may live according to your word, Father. So uh, book of Acts teaches us about what your disciples have done through the power of the Holy Spirit and what church is supposed to be doing. And I pray, Lord, that you teach us so that we may do what we need to do that is uh, taught through your word and your scripture. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at Acts chapter 5 and we looked at several weeks about the Ananias and Sapphira's uh, issue and also we learned the problem of uh, the Ananias and Sapphira. Um, To some extent it's not all that super, super evil because they did not really kill someone as as if they murdered something, but still they, they did in, in a sense uh, a terrible thing because they've kept back what they shouldn't be keeping back I mean nobody asked them nobody forced them to give but still from what they were giving they were just so um, uh, you know not not honest and so obviously they paid the price for lying to God they paid the price for lying to God's community they paid the price for deceiving God's community and so as Christians when when somebody claims to be a Christian, the, one of the things that we could learn from Ananias and Sapphira is you be honest, right? I mean, God is watching. God is watching every single thing, every single person. God even knows what comes before our... Uh, God even knows what we are thinking, what we're about to say, everything else, because he knows those things before the thought even comes to our mind. So God sees everything. There's nothing that can be hidden from the eyes of the Lord. And... So we learn from them, from their lifestyle, that these people were obviously hoping or at least thinking that nobody is watching and Peter uncovers the sin. Uh, So we learn about the uncovering of the sin in book of Genesis, for example, God did that uncovering of sin with uh, Adam and Eve. It's not that God doesn't know what is happening in Adam and Eve's life or in the garden of Eden because he after created it, he knows where they are, every inch of it. So he was uncovering the sin, and also God uncovered the sin of Cain when you read chapter 4. So this uncovering of sin is not sort of a new thing. It's been in the initial chapters of the Bible. And you look at chapter 4 completely, and even on to 5, we will also, that is in Genesis, we will also learn about the uncovering of the lifestyle, sinful lifestyle of Cain's descendants. At the end of chapter 4, what's his name, Lamech? <clears> there's <throat> Lamech, I believe, who who boasts in his sinful living. So, I mean, there's no uh, guilt in him. There's nothing. He was so proud of what he's done. He killed somebody just like his granddaddy did. Somehow Cain was his granddaddy. So he killed somebody. There was, uh, he married a few women, at least two, in the according to the text. And so he was so boastful about the sinfulness. And God was uncovering all that. That is the point the author was writing. The book of Genesis is not to be scientific, but to show what God has done and how sin entered and God uncovering that sin. And here in the book of uh, Acts, we also see that same, uh, similar thing, not same thing, but similar way of uncovering sin by Peter. And he did that. So we know that Ananias, Sapphira, they both were dead because of their, of their sin, they, that they not only lied to the people, but they lied to God because God's presence was there. And the book of Acts tells us that in chapter two, God descended, the Holy Spirit God came in the form of what? Fire and wind, right? So fire is a symbol for both God's presence and also what? God's judgment, right? So it's, there's both the presence of God and also God's judgment. So, I mean, when, when you can think about the event that happened on Mount Sinai, when God descended onto Sinai, people were scared of his presence, Right? But as at the same time, there's also God's presence on the mount. Uh, and But at the same time, there's also fear because people feared his presence. So there's a both because there is that presence of God. There is judgment of God. And also we learn from theological implications from last two, <laughs> two weeks that we as Christians must be careful. Because, I mean, outsiders, there, is, there are people who are not Christians. They wouldn't know much about God's presence, they would probably know very little to nothing, to none. But we know that God is present all over. So from that chapter, from those verses one to 11, we can learn when God's grace is present in the church, God's judgment is also present. So God is watching every single thing. And we as believers must be honest with who? With one another. We as believers should not lie. Obviously God hates one of those things is lying, right? Uh, lying tongue, God hates lying tongue. So we as believers must be upfront, must be honest, must be open. Not only with God, with everyone. I mean, if you and I are open with God, we'll be open with everybody else. Right? Because there's no because that's where it comes from, from our understanding of the theology of God. When we understand who God is, which is they failed, Ananias and Sapphira failed to understand who God is. Uh, So when we understand who God is, the theology of God in general as a whole, then we would not do so many of things. We would stay away from committing anything. We would stay away from doing anything that could be wrong, ethically wrong. So we won't even do any of that. That comes from our understanding of a holy God. Now again, we can go into these attributes of God and so talk about the attributes of God. But for me, the holiness of God is not an attribute. It's part of his being. There is no other God who's called as holy in the ancient areas. There's none. There is nobody like the God of the Bible. It is not a simple statement. Again, I, I, when I talk about there is none existent, a, existing like the God of God Yahweh or God of Israel is because I worked on that one word for some time. And my dissertation committee asked me to stop it. And that means there. When, when there is no one like God, meaning there is none, ayin is the word that is used, the particle. It's not even a word, it's a particle used. That declares that there is nobody that's in existence like the God of the Bible or God of Israel. None. That's why the prophet says, who's like you? Who's like you? Show us one. Who's like you? Not one being a supernatural being there is not one being like me and so god is so unique the god of the scriptures is unique and people don't understand and so they make all kinds of comments but he's so unique and he's so different compared to these other deities that people might have known back in the days and so one of the things that he demands in such a way is to be loyal to him and how can we be loyal to a holy god how can we be loyal to Jesus Christ, who's sinless? One of our Bible college students asked me recently, if Jesus bore the sins of the world, he is a sinful being. How is your sinful being going to heaven now? Now, I've told the student that you don't understand the theology of uh, Christology, basically what Christ is, so you may have to read a little bit and come back with a different question. Uh, but there are people who think of God in such a way. When God is holy, how are the people that he's saved supposed to be? How many of you enjoy reading the book of Leviticus? Strange, strange person. Just kidding, but you see, there are very few people who, who love to read Leviticus. They're like, oh, man, I need to skip this. Then skip it really quick. Or numbers, first few chapters of the book of Numbers, skip it. Chronicles, first ten chapters of first chronicles, skip it really quick because they're all names. I don't want to read that. So we go, I want to go to the content of the book of Chronicles. So there's some things that we sort of breeze through it. But Leviticus talks about.
1: Seems like some of those are harder for me to focus because if like I'm reading the gospels, I can focus better. Yeah, it takes effort.
0: A lot of effort. Uh, I agree. Chronicles, it just gives me some headache when I'm reading the names. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. Gives, there's so many names of nine chapters of genealogical lists. What are you thinking, Mr. Chronicler? <laughs> I mean, what would we need? Obviously, there's a reason for all that.
1: But like for me, when I read Leviticus, uh, it re-emphasizes the wholly different nature mm-hmm. that God is. So like I'm always framing all of this out in this idea that, okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I want to live in the presence of God, I have all of these ritual purity laws that I need to, Maintain so that I might be clean, so that I can come in fellowship with God. Because cleanliness is not the same as holiness, and uncleanliness is not the same as sinfulness. Mm-hmm. It's not wrong to be unclean. It's not sinful to be unclean. It's just sinful to be unclean and then go into the presence of God. Right. Uh, and so it, it, it's this whole structure of of how can sinful broken human beings who live in this worked world come into the presence of a holy, powerful God, recognizing holiness, God's holiness is not malicious, but it's more like a sun, in that the sun destroys, not because it's malicious or that it hates anything, but its very nature is yes. that it's Mm-hmm. And so things exposed to it burn up, uh, and so that's what God's nature is. And so when we come in, we don't have some type of protection. We don't have some type of uh, something covering us, you know. So like if you want to go visit the sun, you have to have some type of thermal protection going on. Particularly as you get closer to the sun, mm-hmm. the closer you get, the more thermal protection. So as Christians. Our thermal protection is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate thermal protection. Before the ancient Israelite, they didn't have the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So they had to have some way to have that thermal protection as they came into the presence of that holy God. And and the closer and closer they came, so there, there was more presence of God in Israel than all the other nations. But then in Israel there was more presence of God in the tabernacle or the temple, and so you had. So once again, once you come in there, you have to be careful. And then uh, in the tabernacle or the temple, in the holy of holies, that's the hot spot mm-hmm. of the presence of God. And so then then you can only come there one person, the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement after he's. Given sacrifice for his own sins, you know, and then he's put on that special thermal uh, protection, and then of course there's the tradition that they would tie a rope around his his leg in case he gets struck down when he comes into the,
0: <laughs> the they you know, drag yeah going in yeah I mean there's I mean that's a good explanation of the Book of Leviticus as a, as a, what's going on in the book so I mean. It's really, really about that holiness character of God and God wants his people to be holy. So who are his people coming from that point on? Everyone that belongs to the Lord are his people, right? Everybody that belongs to the Lord are his people, including us. Not only just them, but those of us who believe in the Lord are also part of God's family and that God is extremely holy. I mean, just think about that, the big fire pot that's probably 70,000 degrees temperature. We'd be so scared to go even close to that, right? So that is the just an example of holiness of God. But then, within that holiness of God, which I mean, He's He's He cannot allow anything that is even in a minute way sinful, anything close to Him. But God has given us access through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that hot seventy thousand degrees temperature fire, even though we see that fire, is sort of cool fire for those who believe in God. So we can just go, but still that nature doesn't change, the holiness nature.
1: Well, and one of the things that I also love about Leviticus is that you get you get this amazing grounding of what is right and good in the character and nature of God. He says, you will do this because I am the Lord. <laughs> you know, you will do this because I am the Lord.
0: And, and you can see how people responded to it right for example when God gave these commandments people told Moses we're going to do all those things the Lord has said and in Leviticus be holy because I am the Lord your God is holy so they're commanded to be holy and people just nod their head and obviously we know what happens later on but obviously they don't keep their word for too long but they're supposed to be holy because their God is holy and when we come to New Testament what is it is there any difference between Christ and the God of the Old Testament? He is still holy and we are to be the children of that holy God. And when we are children of holy God, we are to be obeying him and live according to what he has called us to live, according to His scripture, according to the word, according to the commandment. So we are just like those people. They're directly under the watch of this holy God, directly listening to the words of this holy God. They're having this direct sort of direct conversation with this holy God directly, at least through Moses. So they felt the presence of God. So by the presence of God, there is both, again, the grace of God, there's also the judgment of God. So there's both that we can learn from the Old Testament. So even in this story, there is both that grace of God and also the judgment of God. So basically what we can learn is as believers, even the New Testament believers or New Testament time believers, We're not supposed to take God lightly. God is holy. That didn't change. Jesus Christ is holy. That didn't change. We, in fact, have a privilege of being called saints in the Lord, right? We're not not just the New Testament believers are saints. Not just those who listen under Paul are saints. Not not just those who listen under Peter are saints. We are saints. How How do I know that we are holy ones? How do I know that we are holy from God's perspective? How many of you recall Romans chapter 5? Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham was declared what? Huh? Righteous. God justified us, right? Are we justified by Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 5 is heavily theological. On what basis are we declared righteous? On what basis are we, the New Testament believers, declared righteous? Righteous. Not based on our merits, not based on anything that we did because of Christ's work on the cross and our belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were declared righteous, right? So we are now part of God's holy family. We are now part of God's holy family. When we are part of God's holy family, we are not supposed to do anything that contradicts the word of God, the teachings of God, or even the lifestyle that God demands from his people. So... Uh, I mean, there's so many commands. If you, I think, uh, just in New Testament, there are at least, I might be wrong, but there may be at least 800 commandments just in the New Testament. If you maybe search just the basic commands in, in the scripture, there probably 800. I mean, God just gave what? How many commandments? When you, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor, right? So two. And we have hard times maintaining those two. We have hard times doing those two. To be fair,
1: those two are, are some...
0: Broad They're broad, but loving God. I mean, when we say we love God, basically, my my point is when I say I love God, I would try my best to do what God wants me to do. I mean, that's,
1: it, it's it's it, the restatement of the Shema to, to love God with all that you love, with every aspect. aspect yes, it's to love God being the weightiest command, and then to love your neighbor. Uh, as yourself, but we're stating from Leviticus 19. Yes. Once again from a fun book of Leviticus, mm-hmm. which by the way, the rabbis, the rabbis, uh if you look at the, the Babylonian home uh, states that uh this this restatement from Leviticus they they knew I think it's Leviticus 19. certain but I know it's Leviticus nineteen to so love your neighbor as yourself. They all agreed that this was a hugely, hugely important. They said that this is a fundamental issue of who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, that statement, oh, I think a lot of Christians have the misunderstanding that, oh, when Jesus says these two things, it's evolution. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. But I mean, even though he only gave two commandments, the two are so difficult to uh, absolutely difficult to follow, right? So, I mean, we can go into examples of life to, you know, uh, so questioning God when things don't go our way or belittling God when things doesn't work out the way they, we want us. We want God to function a certain way. We want God to work out the way we want him to work out. It's like, Lord said, do this, my little children. We're just using the terminology of John. Little children, do this. And we're saying, no, Lord, do, do you do this. I want you to be obedient to me. Hold on, Lord. I'm being obedient, but sometimes you just mess up my mind, so I'm not going to be obedient with you. So I'm being very honest. So you do, you do what I ask you to do, Lord. I'm going to give you my 100%. Do you really give 100% when the Lord does everything that we ask him to do? No, because we won't. We won't ask another one. Oh, hold on. Just like uh, who tested the Lord? Gideon. Oh, wait, wait. One more thing. One more thing before, before I take it step. One more. Okay, Gideon, go ahead. Do this for me. All right. No problem. And here is the result. Hmm. That's amazing. Hold on. Just one last I promise. One last test. So we go on and on and on and on because we, we want God to work in our ways and we have a hard time working in God's ways. That's why we struggle a whole lot. So coming back to this whole, I mean, thing of Leviticus and everything else, God wants his people to be holy, God's presence. God is holy and his presence is there. When That's also one of the things that we should understand, right? The church is the presence of God. So it doesn't matter. what Church is the presence of a holy God, not just a God. And I would say church is the presence of the holy God because there is no other God who is holy like the God of the Bible. So when the holy presence of God is in the midst of God's holy people because we are, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the saints. We are holy ones of God. Because we cannot have access, that's my belief, you can counter-argue with that, we cannot have access into the presence of God without us being in that holy fall. If you read Ezekiel, for example, 40 to 48 chapter the last chapter, it talks about sacrifices and God cleansing the people and so forth. And What is the need for God to cleanse his people when he brings every single one of them from all directions uh, and when he establishes kingdom? What is the point? Of God cleansing people so that he could give them access into his kingdom. What is the point of it? You can't come with an unclean heart, right? Are people ever going to become holy on their own? No. I'm going to cleanse you before. I mean, this is Ezekiel. I mean, this is an older man's experience in some sort. I'm going to cleanse you before I let you in. Says the Lord. I'm just completely paraphrasing in my own translation, by the way. Before I let you in, I'm going to wash you. Why would God want to wash anyone? I mean, hey, uh, we believed in you, Yahweh. What do you mean you're going to wash us based on Ezekiel? Well, you are my holy ones. You are my chosen people. But you cannot yourself make, you know, completely cleanse yourself. I have to get involved in this. So God's going to be involved. Even us, even in our lives, God's going to be involved. Because even though we are the holy ones, we have this tendency to do uh, based on what Acts chapter 5, 1 to 11 says, 10 is mistakes. We do a lot of wrong things. We commit still some sort of sins every now and then. But ultimately, it is God who cleanses us completely. We have to be in the pure form to be with a holy God.
1: Ultimately, ultimately, we're trying to cleanse ourselves. We're like little children who are trying to wash ourselves off with money.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good example. So we can't do it. It's, it's we are not... We don't have that ability to cleanse ourselves, so it is God's work. I mean, it gets so beautiful because when we have the right understanding of the God of the Bible, we have a totally new, different worldview. Ordinary people don't have that sense of who the God of the Bible is. When we have the understanding of who he is, the theology of God, so I would suggest everyone to read the at least the chapters on theology of God to understand to learn who God is. Once we understand who God is, everything else we can see what's going on we can then we can really try to be uh, like His true child. So, God has cleansed. I mean, in in this chapter five, for example, the presence of God is absolutely heavy and visible, and the people are experiencing the presence of the holy God. And when in, in the midst of the presence of the holy God, these two people, they commit this sin, and obviously God did not allow that because his church is growing. And at the same time, there's also Satan that is trying to attack the church. And God says, no, 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 you're not going to mess up my plan. So there is in one side, these people messed up and God took care of that. Satan has no power over God's ministry, right? How many times do we see that people, disciples are being persecuted? So many times. The Satan doesn't have power on God's mission. So Satan took control of Ananias' heart and we learn from Peter. Peter's question that why did you let Satan take control of you? So Satan is trying to destroy the church from within, but then God said, you're not going to do this because this is my house. This is my community. And so, We can learn so many things from that chapter. Again, going back to Ananias' things, we must be honest. Basic bottom line is be honest with God and be honest with everybody else. If not, God will make us pay something, some consequence at some point. Definitely, we're not going to escape from the presence of God because God is not a joker. He's not a clown. He's not somebody we should take lightly. So as these people were ministering about the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of this new community, Book of Acts, initial chapters, talks about the new community of Jesus Christ. Later on, we hear the term Christians. I think it was in Acts chapter 11 or so, we hear the term Christians, that is those who are following Christ. But before that, the title of this new believers group is Nazarenes. Sort of a not so good name. Jesus of what? What is one of of the names of Jesus? Jesus? Jesus of... Nazareth, what good comes out of where? Who said what good comes out of Nazareth? Nothing, that's the that's, that's, that's understanding of Nazare- Nazareth, okay? So Jesus of Nazareth, or these are the Nazarenes, meaning it's not a proud, trite thing. It's not something that we should feel, disciples uh, should feel so pr- proud about. It is sort of an insulting thing, but Later on, it comes to know that these are Christians who are following Christ, the followers of Christ. So here we see there's a lot of growth in these followers of Christ. Now Jesus told them, based on Acts one eight. Now again, we cannot we cannot dismiss these chapters that we looked at so far, one to four. Jesus said, what in, in based on Acts one eight? Start your ministry where? Stay in Jerusalem, right? You're going to be witness unto my name, unto the end of the word. I'm, I'm going to send you my comforter. So Acts 1.8 is one of the um, key verses in the book of Acts. So they remain in Jerusalem. They were continuing in the ministry. So what is happening over here? Uh, out of all that, that we just looked at, there's so many things that are happening in Acts 5.14. 1 to 11, we saw that. And then in the transition passage, we look at there are so many things that are happening that God is adding more people into, um, into the church. And believers were more added. So let's look at uh, Acts 5, 12. And by the hands of apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. So people were watching because, again, that is because of the fear that came upon the people. There's a lot of work that is going on. God's fear fell among the people. They're so aware of what is going on. And so some of them were even scared to come close because of what they observed, what they experienced, what they saw with their own eyes. So one of the uh, apologetical theories that I like, the apologetic reasoning is experiential apologetics. How many of you heard... Heard that experiential apologetics there are different categories classical apologetics ev- evidential apologetics presuppositional apologetics experiential apologetics one of the last things and a lot of people don't give much weight to it but experiential apologetics is so powerful because you share your experience now one of the evangelism class i've asked uh, my students of the class how many people are reading the bible as is we live in the postmodern world, right? The people like stories. You change these into a story and tell; they're going to listen. If you just go read the facts, they're not going to listen. Today's world don't need any facts. They're not interested in the facts. They want somebody to rephrase it and tell them in a story. We live in a different world. But experiential apologetics is basically your experience talk. That's why churches ask you, right? If you go out to churches and to preach, some sometimes as a missionary, they'll say, "Share your testimony." What does it mean by sharing your What is the point of your sharing your testimony? It somehow speaks to some people of what God has done in your life. So here also we see that experience, that people are experiencing God's power, God's presence among these disciples and also among this Jewish community. God is doing great things and people are listening to them and fear of the Lord fell among them. So some people were joined, some people were scared to even go close to these people because the fear of the Lord fell among them. So, and the rest, that is verse 13, and the rest of... Rest, there is no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Who are they magnifying? Who's teaching from the Solomon's portico? Disciples of Jesus Christ. They were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus, the resurrection of Christ. People magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both, both men and women. So here's what we're seeing, 5.11 to uh, 5.14 to 16. And believers were the more added, were the more added, To the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, in so much that they wrought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least of the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. This is even interesting, right? So what is going on here? They were more added. So we should note at least two things. Believers. Those who believe in the Lord. So that's a new title. Are they part of Gentiles yet? Jewish community, Jewish people are coming to to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jewish people are putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and believers were more added. So, more added means Peter and the apostles were teaching, obviously in Solomon's portico. And because of the ministry of these apostles, there were more Jewish people added. More Jewish people added uh, uh, added to the faith in the Lord. And more are being saved. So more is actually a comparative term. Compared to before, even compared to before of what was happening, because people are coming and believing in the Lord because of the ministry of the disciples. There's persecution always, all the time. And we will see of that persecution just a little bit. Even though there is all kinds of things going on, people are coming. That is the Jewish people. Isn't that something? Christ said, you stay here in Jerusalem until I send my who? My comforter, you're going to start the ministry where? Not in Jericho, not in some Samaria, but where? In Jerusalem, right at the core of the temple, the surroundings of the temple. In fact, these people were teaching from the Solomon's portico where Jesus once stood. So there's, there's some significance for the place. They're teaching from there. People were added before. We see in Acts, by the end of chapter 2, at least how many thousand people? 3,000 people were added, right? There's some more people that are added later on, and even more. These are Jewish people, Jewish people that were being added to the church or to the body of Christ. I should say body of Christ, but really not church yet, okay? And so sick people also, as we learn, in so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. So obviously they're sort of palace there, really couches not in the sense of all couches, not that comfortable, <laughs> their roads are not all that wide but they're made with uh, rocks and layered with rocks and so forth so they were bringing people they're bringing sick people into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might uh, might overshadow some of them so there's this belief a strange belief of the time and there were superstitions beliefs so it's nothing new because they're there in the ancient days they're magicians. That's why some people were just so interestingly looking at what Jesus was doing because he thought, at least to some extent, these guys are, this guy was a musician. I mean, if you go 3,500 years back or maybe more, when our Egypt came into existence and later on that, we know that during Moses' time, there were magicians in Egypt, right? They're performing almost, almost equal tricks, equal things so they're musicians so they're not surprised their superstitious beliefs Look, like for example um and i've asked some of my students what are superstitions in india where i come from if if you get in the car just say you're going out you got in the car and you see a black cat outside you get down you, you get off the car not like one leg you have to get off the car close the door open it get back in because that's a bad luck or let's say you're just going about to go out and somebody sneezed you pause sometimes it's not just to pause sometimes they say you stupid and then they move on because that's a bad luck thing that's i mean there's so many of these superstitious thing you can't do this you can't do that you can so many of them so even then their belief look at that i mean what what is peter's shadow what is peter is peter some sort of uh, mini elohim Does Peter have that much of power? I mean, Peter himself recognized when Jesus came and sat by the boat where Peter and his buddies were fishing, he waited and said, cast on the other side. You kidding me? I've been working all night. We've been doing this all night. We have no fish. Cast on the other side. Okay. I'm tired, but I'm going to do it because he said so. So he cast on the other side. What happened? He was not able to pull the... Did they ask for help to pull the net to the shore? Oh, so heavy, so many fish. They don't even know what to do. Peter did what? He didn't come to Jesus and say, I don't know who you are. Thank you, man, but good suggestion. He fell on his face and said, Lord, leave me alone. I'm a sinner, not worthy of your time. Leave me alone. Go away. But Peter was not saying Jesus is Lord in the sense of he is the Messiah. He was just recognizing him as some sort of messenger, he's got some, something unique about him. He didn't realize who it is. Obviously, we know, when did Peter realize that Jesus was Messiah? Jesus asked him, right? Jesus asked the disciples, what do you think people are thinking about me? They gave different reasons. What do you say, Peter? You are the anointed one. You're the Messiah. <laughs> Stay quiet. How was Peter able to know that? Did God allow Peter to realize That this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. Yes, obviously. But Peter didn't know at the time. So they were having all these kinds of superstitious things. Their their mind was not, you know, they're not new for this superstitious thing. But they think they can bring sick people and that sick people can get healed by the shadow of Peter. Just like one lady said, what? If I can touch the garments of Jesus, I will be healed, right? Lord, say a word so-and-so will be healed. So it is not new. So they are thinking that Peter has some powers in him, and even if people could could just somehow get the shadow, they could be healed. So Luke did not tell that Peter's shadow would heal specifically. Did it say in the text where Peter's shadow would heal? When the woman said, if I can just touch Jesus'
1: garment, then I'll heal. When she actually is healed, does provide a little bit of a your faith,
0: yeah, not the touching. That's yeah. yeah. But that itself, the action. There's faith in that action, right? If I could touch his garment, how how would you know that if you get, be healed if you touch the garment? You need some sort of faith to say that, right? And so obviously Jesus corrects it. Yeah, he says your faith is what healed you. <laughs> but here we're looking. I mean, this thing has caught me off. I was like, what? Why would Peter's shadow heal anybody else? But we'll come there. So Luke didn't tell. Anything about his shadowing has been healing people. He didn't say it, but people thought that is all. People thought if we can bring him, bring the sick people out and the shadow of Peter passes by, maybe we can have some healing. So in fact, the way Luke shows this is that God is working, working out the healing through Peter. God is in Peter. God's presence is with Peter, right? We learned that Peter was filled with who? Holy Spirit. So who's doing the healing? Not Peter. Peter didn't have any powers on his own. He's not some supernatural being. He's a natural fisher man. The power is coming from God. So that is what Luke is trying to point. Even if you look at uh, Luke's theology, maybe you can do that when you have time. Um, Luke talks about, I I might be going out of the subject here. Luke talks about Caesar Augustus. Caesar was the savior. What happened to Roman Empire, Roman What happened to the Roman world when Caesar was in lead? How many of you heard the term Pax Romana? Pax Romana means peace of Rome. There's peace. Peace, peace, peace. What does people want? Peace. But Luke's point is saying Caesar is not the savior. Jesus is the savior. Caesar is not the savior. Jesus is. So if you read Luke and Acts together, that is the main, main, major theme overarching theme of Luke. So Jesus is the Savior, not Caesar, because he mentions Caesar Augustus for a reason. He's not simply giving genealogical lists that that we talked about, but there's a reason why he mentioned his name. He was proving that Caesar is not God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. You believe in Jesus, you want to have true peace. So that is one of the messages. So we see here people are expecting to be healed, and they're bringing out people to... uh, so that Peter's shadow can, can heal them. So they came a multitude out of the cities around about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them, which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every once. So notice the important thing here. Now, until now, Peter and the disciples were ministering in Jerusalem. I got like four minutes left, right? Peter and, oh, yeah. Peter and the disciples were ministering in Jerusalem. What is happening here? Word went out to the surrounding towns. There came also multitude, how many? A lot of people, a lot of people, we don't know how many. Multitude out of the cities around about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which are vexed with unclean spirits. So they're also casting out those demons from these peoples. How is all this, how are all these things happening? Not because of power of the apostles. They have no power within them, so they're just mere people. If they have powers to save them, others, why didn't they not save themselves from any persecution? Right? It is God who's working out through these people, uh, through the disciples. So there came multitude. The word is going out. And look at the tension that writer is trying to give us here. There's a, there a spike in some sort of, uh, we will read that later on, that there's, uh, the authorities don't like it. They're so, so, so angry because it's not just in Jerusalem. that These guys are talking about the resurrected, but man, they don't even want to say the name. But the word is going on, people are coming from all over the towns and cities, bringing them here to where they are, to here. And sometimes these disciples went out to different places because Jesus already trained them to go out, sort of door to door, and teach the gospel, preach the gospel. If people don't accept you, then they, he said what? Wash your hands, dust off and come back because they're not rejecting you, you're just disciples, you're just my messengers, they're rejecting who? Me. When, when the people in the wilderness complained to Moses, God said, What? They're not complaining about you, Moses. So hold on. They're complaining about me. They're murmuring about me. It's not you. You're not the issue. You're just a middleman. Same thing with disciples here. They're just a the middleman. They're just doing the service to the Lord. They're just presenting the word to the Lord. So we know that there are a lot of people coming from different places. And next week we'll look at the continued persecution of the apostles because right after this, this big event that is happening, there's a lot of people that are believing in the resurrected Jesus Christ. They're believing in the saving faith of Jesus Christ. And that is causing issue for those who denied Jesus altogether. That is causing issue for those who approved to crucify Jesus Christ. Now we see there's so much of guilt in their hearts, right? Why would you get angry? If you do something wrong and someone points the finger at you and say you did something wrong, are you not going to get angry? If you don't do angry, I mean, if you don't do something wrong, you're just going to be what? What? No, I didn't do it. There's no reason to get, but if you do something wrong and if you are caught, obviously, (laughs) you know, you don't really do this, but you get, you don't express that anger outside so much, but you're going to be so angry inside. Peter is going to talk to these people in just a little bit and say how how bad they are, bad people, that they have persecuted Jesus Christ. So these are really getting aggravated. They're really getting upset because so much is happening in that name of that one person that they've crucified. And so we will look at that next week. Any questions before we close? I can't believe I'm still in chapter 5. Next week is the last week of chapter 5 because I'm going to breeze through it. Okay, I'm just kidding, I know I can't do it. Okay, so let's close in prayer if no uh, questions. Lord, we thank you for this time, thank you for this session. I pray, Lord, that you give us um, a clear understanding of your scripture and help us to live a life that will glorify you, that will make you happy, that will please you, Father, because we need to please you and that matters, pleasing God matters. I pray, Lord, that you give us hearts to see the text clearly and live according to it, and I pray, Lord, that we will be an example to other Christians, to the new believers. And also, Lord, I pray that you would use us because of our life, um, living our life, understanding that you would use us to save other people, to bring other people to the knowledge of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray that you be with Pastor Ray as he brings the word and give us a good Lord's day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.